The Recovery Greenhouse is a podcast dedicated to the growth of ideas, concepts, and outlooks that support recovery and recovering communities. I am Gerald Lott, your host and a person in long-term recovery. I'm also founder and executive director of Salt Valley Voices of Recovery, a recovery community organization serving Northwest Illinois. I'm a certified peer recovery support specialist, an entrepreneur, a father. After a long list of careers, I found my calling in helping others to find recovery. I work with many, many people, several addiction-related advisory boards, all sorts of organizations. And my core belief is that people must make an effort to change. Um, you're not going to change your life easy, right? There's, there's a saying, no pain, no gain, and it's exactly correct. A person cannot experience significant life changes without enduring, accepting, often welcoming discomfort. It isn't the change that hurts, it's our resistance to it. Today on the podcast, my guest is someone who I met recently. He came to Illinois and uh, told us his story at our, our, our 2023 RecoverCon. Um, when I went online and looked up who, who are the best recovery speakers out there right now, number one, Tony Hoffman. And so, you know, I reached out to him. Uh, he is a former pro BMX bike rider. He became a a Olympic coach. He's written books. He's out on the road speaking at high schools and and, and places all over the country almost every day of the year. Uh, he has a history like a lot of us that isn't as, as glamorous as we'd like to put it. And now he is the owner of a treatment center. Uh, so my guest, Tony Hoffman, welcome, man. Thanks, Gerald. I really appreciate you uh, inviting me on. It's always uh, something I'm grateful for and Grateful for to be a part of Recovery Con to share my story uh, with with those in in your community. Hey man, they 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 took to it. I, I'm I'm still getting emails from people talking about how much they loved your story and how professional you were. That was the thing that a lot of the the people uh, that want you know everybody that comes into recovery they eventually want to tell their story. And like he was so professional, he just had it down. I'm like he's supposed to. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, right? you would hope, right? Uh, right, you would hope. right. I do it enough to, to where I've honed things in. And, you know, I was fortunate enough to kind of have uh, what a lot of people in our situation didn't get. And that was kind of some level of structure in the home life that was able to kind of provide me, um, you know, shake hands, be thankful, say thank you. Yes, sir. No, sir. Kind of that professionalism was kind of laid out to me, even though there were some things missing in my childhood. Um, and that was something I really honed in on, even when I raced BMX, was I went out and I found my sponsors and kind of that professionalism and um, just my gift to be able to go up and talk to people in that way. Um, you just, you guys saw the product of that. And I, and I, I really, really put so much emphasis on that. The last thing I want to do is leave a place and people be like, he really told a great story, but man, that guy was uh, a bit egotistical or arrogant and just surprised, right? just left right after, you know, I just don't. That's one of the things I liked about what we were able to create, RecoverCon, right? It's, you know, a lot of times you go to these conferences and the speaker like flies in and comes in the back door and he comes out on stage. He says his piece, he goes through that door. You don't ever see him again. Yeah. And that's not what it was. You guys are out there, you know, hanging out, talking to people, taking pictures. And it was really cool. I, I'm not that guy anyway. I mean, so when I did my TED talk, um, they make you go in a back room and it was so nerve wracking for me. 
um, because I'm, I would rather just be out with people like you and you introducing me to all the facilitators, the people that made it happen, right? Like the reason that I'm even there, I would rather get to know those people than sit in a room and think about my speech and, um, you know, kind of distance myself from the people that allow me to um, afford the life that I have now today because of people like yourself. And so getting out there is, is important. But when I was doing the TED Talk thing, they put me in this back room and everybody was still practicing their speeches. And it made me so nervous. I was like, yo, you guys should have this like down, like put these things away and let's like get into uh, competition mode because that's the way I see things, right? Like you do everything Monday through Friday, you show up at a race and then you just flip autopilot and you go, you know, all this other stuff just makes you more nerve wracking. So I was grateful to be able to just go out and shake hands and and get to know y'all and then do, then do what I do, you know? I want I want to talk a little bit about some commonalities I saw in what something you said, but before we do, because not everybody that hears this, this is going to ra- run on radio. Yep. And then it's going to go on the internet. So everybody wasn't there. So, you know, give me, give me a minute of, of who Tony is. What's the story in, in a nutshell? Yeah, really the, the, the beginning is a young person gifted in sports, but um, cursed, so to speak, internally struggled with anxiety, didn't know where it was coming from, struggled with depression, didn't know where it was coming from, a strong suicidal ideation that started from the confusion, not understanding kind of what was happening to me around the middle school years emotionally, um, which really in turn distanced me from my gift. It distanced me from community and people and my family um, to a place of isolation. And that isolation really was a dangerous place for me to be because what I've learned now is that that really was the precursor, the indicator that I was going to likely make some decisions that in the time I didn't think would have long-term implications, but in in that moment, those decisions I was going to make, they were kind of out of impulsivity, were to try and fix what I believed was broken within myself. And so from junior high to high school, it looked like I was doing great, but on the inside, I was really, uh, I felt broken. I felt misunderstood, confused about who I was, uh, what I was supposed to be doing and kind of measuring myself up against what everybody else looked like, in my opinion. And as you know, we we put everybody else on a really high pedestal and think that their life is great. They're always happy. They're rich. They're successful. Their uh, marriages and their relationships are great. And that's kind of how I viewed the world outside. But on the inside, I viewed myself in a major deficit, um, which is really what opened the door for me to start using substances around 18 And I found what I thought was freedom in Oxycontin at 18, right after I graduated high school, right around the time I was graduating high school. And what I tell people uh, is that Oxycontin was the first time I felt okay. It's the first time I felt fixed, like it alleviated all of the confusion, the pressure, the anxiety, the suicidal ideation. And it made me feel like I was finally one of everybody else, which was just normal. And as many of us know, or the ones that listen to this podcast, um, that's what took over my life was this idea that I could fix myself with Oxycontin. And at that time, having a belief that addiction was merely just a choice. So I could do this and I just wouldn't commit crimes or let it control my life. Um, But that's, as many of us know, not how it works. So within three years, committed a home invasion robbery and uh, became homeless by 23 And in prison at 23, where I spent two years rebuilding my life, and then the the virality of my story started from prison to the Olympics. So by 2009, I paroled California State Penitentiary System, and by 2016, I was participating as a coach in the Rio Olympic Games. 
And there's a lot of other things that we'll digest right, right, in between right. that. But that's the elevator speech of my story. So, you know, first of all, congratulations on all your success and everything you've done. And, you know, not only am I proud of you, but I'm I'm proud that that is something that can happen, that you can turn your life around. And, you know, I think the system is built to cancel people out. Mm-hmm. You know? It is. It, but it's long before you get trapped in the system is really, if I go into a healthcare space, right? I talk a lot about stigma, but I talk a lot about kind of infrastructure. You know, how are we dealing with youth who are showing up to school and not behaving according to what we want? How are we dealing with juveniles and how are we dealing with communities um, that are struggling? And really, that is the beginning of how the system is set up to put people in this loop. And once you get into the loop, um, there you're hit with the judgment, you're hit with lack of resources, you're hit with this idea that, you know, I used to tell the California parole system after my story really started to develop was stop telling these guys to just follow my footsteps. It's not that simple. You know, right. I went home to my, my mom and dad celebrated 47 years of marriage uh, this week. You know what I'm saying? I went home to that. Sure, they were workaholics. And that was a big part of my struggle when I was a kid. But I went home to civilities. These guys that you're telling just follow this guy's footsteps, change your choices. They're going home to crime ridden neighborhoods, drugs, prostitutions, gangs, and a lifetime of miscalibrated use of instinct that was merely taught to them how to survive. It's not as simple as just follow him. That's that's the commonality I wanted to jump at, man. You know, just, just I heard your story. I heard what you were saying. And just like you, I came from a pretty good family town. Now they were divorced, so there was some there was some goofy. Yeah. But we never hurt for money. I went to great schools. I went I got I got kicked out of great schools, right? Yeah. So as you said in in in, in just now, right? Somebody who comes out and they say, oh, just do what he's doing. They didn't score on the LSAT like I did without. I was drunk when I took the test and I scored well. Yeah. But that's because those schools that my parents were able to afford to put me in had taught me a certain way of thinking years ago. That's mm -hmm. just in me. It, it's a privilege. Yeah. That, yeah. You've got, yeah. Enough of, you got enough foundation that when you finally surrendered, you could fall down on some type of foundation of proper use of instinct, right? Is you, you, you may not have been paying it full attention, but it's still being put into your brain, right? Right. Uh, versus the opposite effect of where the environment that's not stable, the neighborhood's not stable, the community schools are not stable. What's actually going in while you're there? What's the messaging? What's the perspective? Because that's what they fall on. They can't just magically create a new one on their own. If they could, they wouldn't even have the one that they'd have because they would measure them up, put them on a scale and say, well, this doesn't add up. We're going to go right. here and flip it around. But we know that it's not that simple. It takes a community of people, an infrastructure in place that can do the best that they can working with what we already know is a very small percentage of people that will be able to surrender this and take what we have to give them. But if we don't have that, then the system is completely broken and it all comes down to, well, look what Tony did. Right. The anomaly. But, be, but the, isn't that, the anomaly. Isn't that, isn't that always it though? We're always looking. I mean, I don't know if you're 12 step based, but the thing that peeves me about 12 step is they've got a book that's 164 pages, but for some reason we want to find a four 
words, you know, slogan that somebody can hang their hat on because mm -hmm. we're always looking for the easy. Go be Tony. Go be Gerald. Right. Instead of our teachers, our counselors, our, our therapists saying, hey, who are you? And what do we need to do to get you there? Because right. I believe that, and I love what you said, distance you from your gift. I, I believe that God, the universe, whoever's up there gives everybody a gift. God knew that he needed you to have a certain set of skills to be who he wanted you to be. He did the same with me. And if you're lucky enough to find that, life can be great. That was that was the challenge for me, right? Was I first had to, sorry about my dog barking. I had to surrender everything I thought I knew. Uh -huh. Once I surrendered that, I needed a source. And for me, I tell people on January 21st, 2007, I had a spiritual experience. That spiritual experience led me to Christ or uh, the acceptance that something was greater than myself that could provide me a way to think, a way to act, and a way to believe about myself, my future, and other people. Once I surrendered and I accepted that, then I had to follow that because I had no basis for anything else other than this faulty use of instinct. Everything that I knew up to that point was killing myself. It was causing me to commit crimes. It was causing me to emotionally avoid life. It was causing me to run from everything that I built or at least self-destruct everything that I had a foundation of. Once I chased after the spiritual side of things, then it was like, okay, take out this, plug in this, stop using this, start using that. And over time, the commitment and uh, the consistency of this started to replace and renew and change all the results that I was getting. I Yes, I understand that 100%, right? Because Because I don't feel like you get to where a guy like you and I are right. You know, you're, you're, you're 2007. I'm 2008. You don't get this kind of sobriety abstinence without filling those holes. Life still gets lifey. Right. Yeah. For me, you know, like I, one time I went on a podcast and the guy really drilled me and tried to say that my whole thing was fake and phony and that this whole thing just sounded too good. Right. And it was like, yo, you gotta like ask me about, the stuff, right? Because when I'm, you want to know about my story, I'm going to tell you the things I think are going to benefit somebody that's in a rut, that's trying to find some type of thread of hope or belief or inspiration, right? That's the, the, the reason I stick to the positive things that I've done. But the fact is, I still deal with anxiety. The fact is, I have health issues with my stomach that sometimes put me bedridden. Um, I still have these major doubts with myself and the things that I do. And I still have these events in my life that happen with relationships and jobs and things that really attack my, my, my psyche because of the way I used to deal with things. They're still there. And so life does happen. But for me, it's about the perspective of how I process life as it's happening now. Right. I, I always use um, great professional athletes as an example. And even in my mentoring, I've got a young kid that I've been mentoring now. And when we talk, I talk a lot about my perspective because I say, all you have to do is learn how to think the way I think. If you want what I have, just learn how to think the way I think. That means how I process failure, how I process anxiety, how I process success how I process adversity and hurdles and all of this stuff. And I will say, now go watch what these athletes say, because the ones that get it done, all I've done is try to think the way they think. You know, it's uh, when, when Houston Astros lost game six, 
the one thing that I liked about uh, Bonds when he came up to, uh, to interview was that he said, sometimes you just show up and you, can't, you don't have enough. You just mm-hmm. can't get the job done the way you want. And that's just a great perspective, right? Because it's not eternal. But today, I didn't have enough. And, and that's really what it's all about for me is knowing that days aren't going to come at me. Months or years are going to come at me um, in ways that are not favorable. It looks more favorable than not at this point in my recovery and many others that have the same amount of time. Um, but the reality is it comes down to how I process those moments as they come to me with my thinking and how I move through that moment to get to the next. You know, so the start of my podcast, I was talking about no pain, no gain. I'm talking about you got to experience discomfort, right? I'm 58 years old, man, but you know, I try to be, I try to hoop a little bit. I try to do what I can. You walk in a room and you look like a Greek God, man, you know, and, and I, and immediately, like you said, I, I compare my insides to your outside, right? And I'm, and I'm, oh my God, I'm out of shape. Look at that guy. But the fact is I could be in shape like you. Yeah. If I do the discomfortable thing, get to the gym, change my diet. You know what I'm saying? Sure. But you know what? I, 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 I Don't take this the wrong way. That's what I want people to feel when I walk in. I want people to feel like I'm not doing enough. I've learned to surround myself with people who make me feel that way. Uh-huh. Right. My business partner, uh, Matt Paz, he's the uh, he's the P and PH. Uh, he makes me feel that way. Right. Like he gets up at four o'clock in the morning. He's in the water by four thirty. His third workout by nine a.m. He's so structured with his time with his family. He goes to bed at the same hour. Um, he will make you feel like you're not putting enough time and effort into your physical fitness which is good because what I've learned is I used to take that feeling and I used to cower. I used to be like, you're not good enough. You're never going to be that person. Now I take that feeling and I say, can I do something with this? Can I take this man's stature or what he's doing and apply certain parts of those principles to my life in my own balance, right? Because I'm not Matt Paz and I'm not Gerald Lott and you're not Tony Hoffman. But there are certain things that I do in my life that can come to as a guide or an inspiration of some type of mirror that say, you know what, I'm going to take my health a little bit more serious. You know, what? I'm going to take my physical fitness just a little more serious, my recovery a little bit more serious. You know, if you follow me on Instagram, you see a picture every day of my bed made and the time that I made it where I was at. I give you a little devotional for the day, right? And the amount of people that are messaging me now that are saying, you know, I make my bed now because of these damn posts. Um, is that like, look, I'm going to show you parts of how I operate my life. And I want you to see that maybe there's certain things that I'm doing in my life that could benefit you. Maybe something as simple as making somebody feel like, man, I'm a slob, right? I started dating a girl and she was like, I used to think that I was really organized and clean. And then I came around you and I started to realize like, I am pretty messy, Well, that's great because now she's starting to take cleaning up her space a a little bit more serious. And really what I want people to see is, you know, when you come home and your house is in order, when life outside that we can't control is out of order, when it's in order in our home, we can spend more time processing what's out of order outside instead of having to try and clean up the clutter inside. And if we don't clean up the clutter inside and it's cluttered outside, really what we start to believe about ourselves is that our whole life is out of control. 
you must have some part of your life that is in control. And the only thing that we can do with that is our three feet of space. So we take care of that because we can't control what happens once we walk outside our house. So job well done. I did feel like a slob, but you know, <laughs> I, I, can, I can live with that. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it, it, it's so interesting to me. Like, do you remember, were you there when Jimmy McGill spoke? I don't, I don't know if you were, you, you, I think you he was the, the, the other prison guy, right? Yeah. Yeah. No, I had a call with my treatment center. Um, yeah. so I didn't get to see his. He has a saying he, and I love it. He says that my, my heroes became human. Mm. And, and he, he talks about how, you know, the people that you're looking up to, eventually you get to a place where you realize they do things the same as you. They're they're the same as we're all the same, right? Right. And so it it's just a matter of am I willing to do what it takes to get there? That's right. <clears throat> but also knowing, like you said, you just gotta know, like, look, I'm human. You yeah. get around my life and you're gonna see that there are things that are not as organized as certain other parts of my life. Right. I may be great in some areas, but I need Gerald Lott in other areas of my life because Gerald has some things really dialed in that right. I don't. Now iron sharpens iron. Right. And you're only, when you say iron sharpens iron, we're talking about that invited discomfort. And see, the problem when I used was I didn't like to be discomforted. Mm-hmm. Right? All I want to do is play. I want to be no feelings, no problems, no issues. Now, at 16 years sober, I realize that the anxiety I feel when, you know, money's getting tight, the anxiety I feel when I'm not living up to my commitments or, you know, I, I, I catch myself about to tell a lie and that, 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 that ugh, in your stomach, right? I like that stuff now. Because yeah, because it's a mirror. Right. It's a mirror that says, hey, we can be better. Hey, if we do this different. I was telling a lady this morning, I was talking to a peer and I was telling her, you know, cause she, we were talking about, she said, I now feel like things when things are, I said, you know, it's funny how the doorbell scares, scares the hell out of the dog. But to me, it's like, Oh, a visitor's coming. Right. Same thing. Why is the dog scared of it? Right. Right. Cause he has not point. attached that good things come. Right. Yeah. Right? They don't have the, the intellect to understand that, it's a visitor or somebody dropping off something we need. Right. So to them, it's like, oh, shit, you know, yeah. Well, it's the same thing with that, that feeling. When I was new to recovery and I got that feeling, it scared me. Oh, my God, I think I got to drink and make this go away. Yeah. Now, I, oh, ooh, those butterflies tell me something's, something's happening here. I have a chance to grow. Yeah. And this is what I love about, you know, 16 years of sobriety, because that's where I'm at. And it's really 10 to 16 has been this way is the the level of curiosity I have about discomfort today, right? Where before it wasn't curious, it was absolute hatred for discomfort, like you said. Avoid. I hated any time I felt uncomfortable. I hated any time I had a strong opinion against somebody, somebody's uh, belief, thoughts, way of doing things. Where today, 10 to 16 years of sobriety, it's been, why do I think that? Why do I have such a problem with the way that guy does things? Why do I not like when she gets on her story and says something on Instagram? Or where does that anxiety come from? And then the curiosity allows me to sit down, pray, think, meditate, and really digest 
everything that it is. And that is, it's me. It's not them. It's not the situation. There's an, a route to that anxiety. And once I can get to it, then I can change the story about it. You can change the way I think about that thought or that feeling. And that's when the new perspective happens. And the new perspective creates new action. New action creates new results. And that really, for me, is more peace. Right. So, so, so you you talk about this 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 understanding, but do you do you give yourself permission to be pissed off? Because there's there's a part in recovery where they say, oh, you know, if something's wrong, then it has to be me. Well, you know, there's a war in Israel. I ain't happy about it, and it don't have nothing to do with me. You That's right. And, and and I think that yeah, of course you have permission to be pissed off. But when you hurt yourself or others, you should be willing to take a step back and look at how that anger came to fruition and how you, how you projected that anger, because we got to be careful. We can project anger onto others and it causes harm to somebody else, but the program teaches us we promptly admit when we were wrong. And so sure, you're going to be angry. Sure. You're going to be anxious. Sure. You might yell, you might um, uh, disassociate or isolate for a moment, but how long are you there? And when that effect had some type of cause and effect to somebody else or something else, where were you willing to admit that you may have been able to do that better or communicate better? Because that's really what it's all about. When we do that, to me, it's all about peace at this point in my life. Peace. How do I maintain peace? And it's not through leaving things alone, right? Just letting things be. It's understanding why I think the way I think, letting go of things that aren't working for me, and then doing the best I can to not cause harm or hurt to somebody else. And in situations like a war that most of us don't want to see happening or don't agree with is how do we have an opinion to that, but not over-engage ourselves in something that we can't control. Tell you a story, man. Just happened to me last week. I was at Walmart in the medical department and I saw uh, these this package of two tennis balls with holes cut in it. And at the top, it said wheel or walker covers for the bottom of like a walker. Mm-hmm. Eight bucks. And I thought to myself, that's pretty funny because I could go over to Sporting Goods and get three tennis balls for $4, right? Cut my own hole. But then the next day I was walking into a meeting and I noticed there's a... Uh, a walker that's been sitting there for about a year. We were at a church every year. It's just been sitting on the wall. Hope the person didn't pass away or something or whatever. But I saw these balls on the bottom of this walker. And my mind said, and, and understand, I was probably angry about some other things also. But my mind said, okay, there's something I can get upset about. There's another thing I can pile on my pile of grievances, right? The tennis ball people are trying to take advantage of old people, and it's terrible, and I could be upset about that. And I, and I bring you this because this is where, this is where my disease gets me. It, 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 it tells me to pack, to stack things that have nothing to do with me up as grievances until I get angry enough that the only solution is to look for relief in a bottle or a drug. Mm-hmm. It's playing the long game on me, Tony. Sure, sure. Yeah, you're uh, you're using the grievances of the world to, um, I would say, in a situation like that, you take the grievances and the things that you disagree with and focus more on those 
uh, to reaffirm some type of belief system that really was the beginning of why you started using anyway. And what I tell people is you create a new belief system. You can create a new action pathway, but the old one still exists, which is why we have to engage in recovery for a lifelong process. Because when we disengage the new pathway, then we only go back to the old one because the old one is the original pathway that your brain only knew how to use. So what you do is you find yourself now with 16 years of recovery, you can see that happening and you can stop yourself and say, whoa, why am I doing this? And And so then I got to say, God, I'm going to leave you with the tennis ball people. Yeah. Let Let you you sort that that out. I'll let you sort that out. And I'm going to go my direction. Yeah. Yeah. That's I, I've, I I really attached myself to people um, who have a, a personal responsibility stance. Right. There's a lot of things in the world that I disagree with. There's a lot of things um, that that discomfort me in the world and uh, the way things are done here in the country in some ways. Right. I still think we have the greatest country in the world, but there are still things here that just disrupt my spirit. Um, But I have within myself a personal responsibility to take what I was given, the knowledge that I have and work within a three feet of space with people, places and things that are in that space to try and make a difference in the way that I'm able to make a difference. So when I walk away, people say, I left a better person. I left feeling better about myself. Um, I now know more uh, as a result of being around me because these other things, I don't have the ability to make decisions on those. I don't have the ability to walk over to the Middle East and say, everybody put your guns down and stop killing each other, right? Um, But if I focus on that, then really what I'm doing is taking myself away from who I am, what I was given, and my obligation to go out and spread it to the world and make the world a better place with what I have. And that's really the most important thing I can tell people is you have a personal responsibility within yourself to sort you out to find your gifts, make things better. To find and exercise your gift, right? Because, you know, you were given a gift that God wanted you to bring to the world for whatever reason, your sports, right? For me, it was creativity. I was in music. I did a whole bunch of things. God wanted me to do that at that moment. If I deny the world those things, because I'd rather be out in the world bitching and moaning about something I can't control. That is the most selfish thing I can think of. Right. Right. Because I don't know what, you know, I don't know what God needed me to do with that gift that he went out of his way to give me. He did not make everybody to ride a BMX bike like you can, brother. No, no. I, the problem with today is, is that, uh, you know, especially with the economy and the way things have gone with greed and, Prices of rent, prices of food, um, inflation, it's, it's very hard for people to focus on the internal matters, right? When you have two kids and rent uh, is due and your job is only paying you just enough to make some of these bills possible and you don't get any time to have fun or you're having to work two jobs, um, it makes it ex- extremely difficult to remove yourself from the chaos of the world because the world is really creating more chaos and more chaos, uh, which is reflecting in our own internal condition. It just makes it so much harder for us to get to those places. And that's why, you know, people like myself, and you've heard it many times, uh, will tell you, uh, for a lack of better terms, rock bottom was a gift. Desperation was a gift because we got so desperate. We got so low internally that we finally just said, forget all of this. Right. I'm not going to put any energy into that. 
Somebody said, put all your energy into this and all of this will sort itself out. Well, if a world doesn't have a spiritual relationship with a power greater than themselves, call it Jesus, call it whatever you want. I'm okay with that. Mine is Jesus. But if you don't have all of that, then the chaos of the world just continues to consume you because all you're able to focus on is what the TV tells you you're supposed to have, what the social media tells you is going on in the world, what your husband, your wife, your kids and everything are also creating within your home and then communities, what's going on there. And there's no peace. There's no structure. There's no discipline outside of what the world is telling you you have to get done when if we focus over here, which is personal responsibility within ourselves a spiritual grounding and understanding of who we are and what we're supposed to do with who we are, then we can create the peace, go out into the world, and then we don't engage in certain parts of this because we have no doing with it. Right. And then we find that we're more in a synergy of the world. We move and go places that God calls us to. We find ourselves helping people that God really wants us to be with. And then we find ourselves in a place of effectiveness. And that effectiveness is really us being needed. And that need is really how we feel all of those holes of emptiness, right? Is because that's what I don't care what anybody says. Every human being wants to be connected and loved by someone or something or a community of people, but we can't achieve that with everybody. But we can try if we don't know what we're doing or why we're doing it, because we go out and find ourselves engaging with the wrong people, hanging out with people that talk on us as soon as we leave the table, going out for drinks if you're just a normie and with people that have no uh, intentions to make the world a better place. And when you go home, what do you have? Nothing. It's just one more, one more day gone. One more day gone, dude. That's a, that's a, to me, it's not a place I ever want to go back to. I can honestly say, I feel like, you know, day to day I get home and something's different. You know, I get home yeah. at the end of the day, something's different and usually for the better, you know what I mean? Yeah. I, I, and you know what I tell people at my, my, when I, cause when I go to treat my treatment center, I, I run groups. I, I, I'm not an operations person. Um, I don't want to do the numbers, hiring and firing a staff. I just want to make sure my staff care and love my clients, but I go in the room and I run groups and I talk a lot about North moving North. I tell people, I have a group that I do. And I say, you could blow this entire facility up. And if we were all still standing here, I said, today, I promise you, I could tell you, let's go this direction. And I know if you follow me, everything will work out because I figured out where North is. When you know where you're going, which is North, when you find your North, you get to come home and know that, man, today was just a little bit better than yesterday or different or I learned something because you know where you're going and you're going to learn things. You're going to have setbacks, but you still know which way you're walking tomorrow. Absolutely. 100%. And you move. And that movement of knowing which way north is, is really a great feeling because that's when you're connected with, it's not just another day. It's one day closer. Right, right, right. One day closer. We're moving. And even when you're in that, that, that phase where you're in a limbo, uh, you still have an idea what north is. And that's your foundation. That's me getting up, making my bed, organizing my stuff. Uh, brushing my teeth and going out into the world and doing the simple things that I do. And then God will point to me and say, now go here. See, for me, that's my faith, right? Because it doesn't all have to make sense to me. It half the time doesn't. Yeah. Right? yeah. right. But if I trust that I'm doing God's work, if I trust that I'm going in the direction that he would lead me, you know, I wake up every morning and I say my prayers and I will never, ever pray that Tony have a thing because I don't know. Right. I'll pray that Tony, you know, gets a whole bunch of money, little do I know the moment you get money, you relapse. 
right? Yeah. So, you know, so what I do is I say, God, I'm showing up for duty, right? Here I am. Good morning. Me. Right. Tell yep. me what to do. And then I go out into the world. Yeah. And my guest, Tony Hoffman, author, speaker, Olympic coach, pro BMX rider, uh, treatment center owner, uh, amazing individual, person in long-term recovery. Tony, we've talked a lot about recovery. Tell me about like some of the, like the work you do, the treatment center. Tell me about talking on the road. Who do, who? Yeah. Who, who we'll, hears story? we'll start with uh, the treatment center. So PH Wellness has been open for a little over a year and a half now. We're a 12-bed stabilization facility out in Southern California. We're about an hour east of Orange County in a place called Riverside. It's a really unique property. We have four and a half acres. We have a lower house and upper house. Um, we're male and female. We do some really cool stuff. We have specialized therapists and counselors that work with couples. We allow pets. So we get a lot of cats and dogs. People will come with their cats and their dogs. Uh, but one of the things that makes us unique in between the lower house and the upper house is a 5,000 square foot fitness and rec center. The rec center's got all types of games and TVs and pop shot hoop games and stuff that people can kind of uh, play ping pong and escape in in their free time. But we also have the fitness center. The, th uh, the three of us that are the uh, major owners of PH Wellness are all heavily involved in fitness. So Matt was an Ironman guy. Barry does ultra marathons. I don't know if you know anything about that, but they run for 24 hours. Uh, they're sick in the head individuals. There's something really wrong with people that can run for 24 hours straight. Barry's one of those guys. And Matt is an Ironman guy and myself a, a professional athlete. Hold on, let me stop you one second. You've been to Vegas, right? Yeah. You know you're standing where Vegas is and the mountains are there? Yeah. A, a guy that's in my AA group and I went out to Vegas one time and he, he went to a meeting. He goes, I'm going to go for a run. And I was like, okay, where are you running to? And he said, well, you see that mountain? I'm like, yeah. He said, I'm going there and I'll be back. How long was that run? Like 38 miles. Oh, yes. Yeah, I don't, dude. I can ride a bike that long, ride a bike 100 miles, 70 miles. But running, dude, I just, I'm not able to change the scenery fast enough. Uh huh. My brain to be like, this is fun. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to. Oh, no, yeah, yeah. I get it. So the three of us were heavy on fitness. When we came together, really what we wanted to do was take components of our own recovery and say, how do we make that a treatment center? And so Barry's special thing was he owned a very, very large staffing agency and sold to a guy that was partners um, with some Amazon people with some technology they use and their forklifts. And he bought Barry's staffing agency and mixed it with his own. And so it's now a nationwide staffing agency. What he does is he brings his fitness, which we have, and then he brings in his job skills and placement. And we can place individuals that go through our merge opportunities program into a 21 hour minimum with 401k benefits, healthcare packages, careers, even if they have felonies. So we take individuals and we work with uh, treatment centers and then we work with uh, cities and governments to take justice impacted individuals to bring them out and try and show them a pathway in which here's a way to self-sustain yourself and not have to go back to uh, some of the old behaviors. But at the treatment center, we offer that as a, an extension to what we do, but we have the fitness 
um, five days a week. So they either go on hikes or some type of um, outing every single day. And three days a week, we have a certified personal trainer that they're involved in, in our big 5,000 square foot gym that has mostly cardio stuff. Uh, we don't want people lifting weights and getting hurt. You know, if we have athletes, we have that there for them. Um, but then master's level clinicians, one of the things that, uh, I brought into it was, you know, kind of the heavy emphasis on clinical care was making sure that individuals that come to our treatment center, sit down with the highest level educated, uh, counselors that may not necessarily be in recovery, but have been educated to a very high level and have a great understanding of what they're dealing with, how to process those things and move forward. And then most importantly is all the other staff that we hire is making sure that they understand uh, we're not here to get a paycheck. If you wanna get a paycheck, this is not the right place to be at because this is truly about a place where we're gonna give people opportunities. Other treatment centers haven't given opportunities or we're not going to just overly medicate individuals that come here so they stay here. We're gonna try and get these individuals to get on board with us to detox them off of a lot of these psych meds and stuff that other treatment centers will put them on and get them to a place where they can feel. Cause that's what we want. We talked about it earlier is you got to feel that discomfort. If you can't move through that discomfort, you're never going to find peace. And so we've created a really unique setup out there. We're already looking at expanding um, from the 12 beds we have to 24 to 30 beds. My vision is to have a nationwide brand. I'd love to have about 250 beds uh, across the United States um, my dream is to have a big 50 to 60 bed facility here in Texas, which has a giant 50 to 60 bed center. And then right behind it is a giant apartment complex where people getting out of prison can live and uh, individuals that are leaving treatment can find stable housing at affordable prices and move through uh, our merge program where we can help stabilize them and get them into the workforce and, and get them back on their feet. And so we're in the beginning stages. A lot of it's still a vision, but we're very successful now after a year and a half. And we're, we're talking about growing this thing. And, and uh, as I told you before we started, you know, this is really my way out of speaking because I've been speaking 250 days a year since, you know, about 2018. Started speaking when I was 25 when I got out of prison. I'm 40 now. I've been in it for, you know, 14 years, almost 15 years. And I, I'd like to have a family and a more stable life at home because I'm not here much. And I've really dedicated myself to, to communities like where you're at and communities all over the United States. Um, and as glamorous as it may look when I walk into a room fitted up, um, you know, there's a, there's a price for that. You know, try to tell kids when they're like, how much did that fit cost, bro? And I'm like, I'll tell you how much it costs, but I'll tell you where the real cost is. And don't go home. You know what I mean? Sure, I got the chains, but I don't go home. I'm home one day a week. You know, you got to understand that the, anybody I've met now that truly has a high level of success, there's a price they pay. And that price is usually time. And Absolutely. you have to ask yourself, what's really valuable with your time? Um, because for me, it's been a sacrifice from everything else. And so PH has given me an opportunity to say, okay, moving forward over the next two years, I'll start seeing myself being more selective about where I leave and what I go do for speaking and then focus more on um, scaling up pH and spending more time with clients and running groups and, and, and giving back in a more intimate way. Cause that's, what's most important to me. You know, Florida and California are both known for like the, the fancy pants uh, treatment center where you can pay $80,000 a day to go. And, you know, it don't sound like that's what you guys are building, man. If you're working with, no, that, no, uh, we're, we're, yeah. we're, we're not. If you came out to our place, um, 
you know, you might think that, man, how do you get, how do you get people to stay there um, with Malibu and all those Orange County places? Um, now we're not run down, so to speak. Um, we're very nice facility, but we are not bougie. Right. And if you go look at our reviews, a lot of people will tell you they've been to 20 treatment centers, some of the nicest treatment centers, and this was the best one. And it's because we are engaging with these individuals. We're seeing them, we're hearing them, we're comforting them, we're working with them, we're giving them chances, we're supporting them. And that's really what they need. You know, I don't want my employees on their phones. I don't want us aimlessly running groups that don't make sense. I want to know what group you're good at. And I want you to hone in on that skill and do that. So when our clients are in our groups, they're truly benefiting from their time. The last thing I want is to have a bunch of printouts that we bought from some curriculum online and hand that to them and say, fill in the blanks. What's that? Right. To me, that's right. nothing. You might as well be sitting at the dinner table with them on your phone, scrolling Instagram. And while they're talking, you say, yeah, okay, yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. You're not listening. You're not paying attention. Right. right. And so we're trying to build a treatment center that um, the branding is great. And obviously our facilities are going to get nicer. Um, but I don't want you to come to me because we have a private chef that's going to feed you a $400 meal every night. Right. Yeah. I want you to come to us because our reputation as a treatment center and your ability to get sober with us is better than others because that's all that matters. I'll tell you, man, I've been to some treatment centers that, that were like vacations. I liked it. I almost wanted to go out and relapse again so I could go back. <laughs> I mean, There's yeah. a lot of those. Yeah. It's unfortunate, though, too, right? Is because, hey, man, I can, I, I've got insurance or my parents have money. Um, I can go to this really nice place and uh, they won't make me go to group me really well. I've got a really nice bed. The view's great. AC's always cold, et cetera, et cetera. And they'll let me talk about my favorite thing, me. Yeah. Respect for what you're doing, man. You know, and, and and please understand anything I can ever do to help you with it. Please let me know because this recovery thing, man, there's so many people bringing so much into it. And I don't know that they're, I don't know that they're thinking it through all the time. Well, I, they're not, they're thinking through in a different way. Um, you know, dude, I, 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 I've mentioned it briefly before uh, we started, I get a lot of people that want me to teach them how to make money speaking. Yeah. And I, I won't reply to anybody that talks about money and speaking. I won't do it, dude. Right. Like people understand I didn't get paid to speak for four years. You right. know what I mean? And I was telling this kid that I mentioned earlier that I was mentoring. I was like, bro, I, I showed him my receipts. Like I found a conversation with a lady. She, she said, we'll pay for your, your gas to come and see me. And that was like a deal. Like, yo, I'm going to get my gas. I, I mapped out how many miles it was. And I gave her a total of like $28 and 36 cents. Right. Get me exactly what it's going to take to get to you and back. And she replied, we'll just give you $40. <laughs> right. But, but the honesty in my stewardship was I'm not looking to make money on this. But I am looking for you to provide a way for me to get there and back and not leave me in a deficit, right? Mm -hmm. So when you see me as a speaker now and you see the success, you see that it's clear that I'm doing well and you say, I want that, you don't want what I want. You want what you think I have and what that means. When mm -hmm. I got into it, I got into it because I wanted to help people. 
I became so good at helping people with my story and my speaking that I then became paid for it. And so when people see treatment centers, they see dollar signs. Mm -hmm. Let's start a treatment center because it's a really lucrative business. Those people are usually, in my experience that I met, sit down with them, they're very easy to spot. Um, because for me, I don't, I don't really pay attention to the car. I don't pay attention to jewelry, watches, these things that people can accumulate in success. When I sit down, I'm just going to listen. Because mm -hmm. you'll tell me everything I need to know about you. Your car don't mean I went to work for a guy that had a Brabus Benz and ended up being a Ponzi scheme scam artist when I was a kid. I talked about it in my story, right? Right. right. I learned at that time at 18 years old, don't judge somebody on what you see. Just listen and watch what they do. They'll tell you everything you need to know about who they are and what they're really doing. The other stuff, none of it matters in terms of success or intentions because you can judge them both ways. My father has passed away and, you know, you have a few different times in, in a person's life that you can recall exactly what you were doing. I'm walking into a treatment center, probably for my eighth or ninth one he's paying for. And he's walking me up the steps and he says, you know, everybody in this has made money, but you, he hmm. said, the guy that sold you the drugs made money. And now the people that are getting you off the drugs are making money. And you still broke. Hmm. That has sat with me for a very, very long. Who was it that told you that? Father. That's a, you know he's a very uh, inquisitive person to even be thinking about that. You know. Yeah. I've never heard anybody ever say that. Yeah, and it, it it just it just sits there with me. It's like you know, you're the only one. Yeah, you got to have a good time. Yeah, you had some fun. You pissed your mom off. All that stuff. But everybody got paid from this but you. So it just. Yeah, you know, where's your paycheck? Right, right. You know, like where if that's actually, you know, I, and the fact that it sat with you, how much longer um, did you keep going? No, that was walking into the treatment center. That I know, was, but that, was that the last time? Oh, no, no, no. I've gone back a couple of times, man. I've been doing this thing for 40 years, man. I, I did my first treatment when I was 20. And then, you know, I'd do a year and then I'd go back and then three years one time i did 14 years and then i went back for four months and now i'm at 16 years so like in the last 30 years i've used for four good months. 14 and went back out yeah yeah and, and 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 you know we could talk about this another time but basically i took my higher power and made it into a woman yeah codependency you know? and 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 eventually my 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 disease told me She'd love you more if you could go out and drink with her. Mm. Yeah. Now, the fact that I opened a wine bar instead of a treatment center, that probably helped too. But, but yeah, you know. So, and that's, yeah, I would love to sit down and I'm always interested in those because, you know, something, something's really missing when you're over 10 and you go back out, you know? Well, but see, I wasn't over 10. That's the thing, man. You know, I have people all, all of a sudden, they're like, hey, man, I used and then I went to the hospital and now I've been clean for two weeks. I relapsed. Well, no, you didn't relapse because you were never sober. Right. Right. Well, the same thing with me. I was dry for 14 years, but I had not been programming for about nine by the time I by the time I used, you know. Got it. Yeah, for sure. I, I, mean had, I had distanced myself. In fact. Again, I told you I was in the music business, right? 
I'm the guy at the record company that everybody says he doesn't use so you can keep your dope at his house. Mm. So, you know, I got a key of Coke. I got a pound of weed, you know, yeah. in my house, but I'm just not using it. Yeah. Yeah. Dude, I had a guy in prison. Um, they start, By the time I was like, I was straight edge. My life was on the new stuff that I'm on right now. And the uh, drug dealer got popped. And so they were going to go hit everybody's pads. And uh, this uh, Southern Hispanic gang member behind me, they called him dog. He said, uh, let me put my tobacco in your locker. Because they're not going to hit your pad. They never do because they know the cops are watching. They know who's who's messing up and stuff. They were going to skip over my pad. And, uh, you know, I looked at him and had to, I had to do the opposite. I had to say, bro, I as much as I know that you're right, I know this. If I put it in my locker, they're going to hit my locker. And I'm going to have to be the man to say that's mine, not yours. I said, I can't do it, bro. But yeah. it just made me think, you know, when you can become the codependent who says, I'll be that guy for you. I'm not going to use, keep it in my house. It's safe. What's the problem? Yeah. Well, there's your effectiveness or the perceived effectiveness, which is your you being needed by somebody else, but it's not the effectiveness that God has for you. But that was the problem. I, I By the time I say yes to that, I've oh. already, <laughs> I'm already gone, right? Yeah, bro. You were. It's just a matter of time before you use. So, yeah. You know, and that's but what, the, the fact that you made it 14 is is impressive. That That's a lot of white I was, knuckle. I was stubborn. You know, yeah. I was running nightclubs. That's what I did. I ran nightclubs, promoted parties, you know, did concerts. That's what I did. Yeah. But I had taken on the persona of the guy who doesn't use. Little did I know that the back of my mind, my disease was still stacking up those grievances. My, yeah. my disease was still working to, to find a way and eventually... It cunning baffled power of me, you know, whatever. Yeah. You know, it got me. But four months later, I was able to get back out. And now I'm 16 years. So, you know. And working a program. It all it served its purpose. And 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 I'm working really hard to help other people not to. You know, the interesting thing then is that I don't believe that anybody ever relapses because vodka's on sale. No way. It's deeper than that. No. Never, ever, not once. Yeah, and you were going to relapse before the vodka went on sale. There you go, right? You you know, you weren't just walking through the, the grocery store and like, hey, my recovery is well. Every, 10 cents off. Yeah. <laughs> no, nobody does that, man. It, yeah. it's, it's a plan. It, it's, it's, it's. Yeah. For well, sure. hey, we're at the end of the hour. We're going to have to go, but hopefully we can talk some more and do some more of this, man. And Yeah, I would I, love it. You just let I, me know, man. I travel all over the time, man. If I get out to L.A., my, my mother is actually out in uh, my stepmother is in Palm Springs. Is that close to? Yeah, we're about almost a little under two hours away. So if I get out we're there that man, direction, you're not far from us. Yeah. yeah. Get out there. I'll hit you up and come see you. Yeah, we'll do a tour. I'm in Dallas, but I'd come out there and meet you when you're going to go out there. And uh, absolutely. Absolutely. We're with you, bro. You'd, lo you'd love what we have. We're putting a lot of uh, money back into the facility and the landscaping and stuff and trying to make it a, uh, even prettier than than it is right now. Don't forget about Illinois, man. We need you. No, yeah. we're. we're I'm t telling you, I'm going to roll this thing out across the country. We're, uh, and th that'll be my job. Matt's going to stay in Southern California and I'll, I'll hit the road and uh, 
So, so is that what the whole speaking is about? You're just out seeing places and 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 uh, scoping things, out? <laughs> scouting out places where I want to go. That's that's what you should put a, put in your uh, in your text. Yeah, I was scouting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I All like right, it. Brother. Hey, man, I appreciate you. Absolutely, um, you too. Let's fantastic. talk soon. All right, brother. All right, Take bye -bye. care. Wow. So that was my interview with Tony Hoffman. And if you don't know his story, look him up. The guy is just amazing. You know, to, to, to think someone could uh, come out of prison and reinvent themselves and, and get back to finding their passion and their gift and then turn around and, you know, start a, a nonprofit that helps youth get into the sport and get to coach in the Olympics and spend 250 days a year out on the road speaking uh, on recovery is just amazing and, and now to find out about his new treatment center I am just uber impressed so please look him up uh, check him out he's on Instagram at uh, Tony M Hoffman 2F's 1M uh, look him up so once again you spent an hour with us talking about recovery and and thoughts and, and ideas and you know I, I hope the thing that you get from this is that there's help out there you know there, there's people out there fighting the good fight showing you that uh, life gets better and um, so I'm going to close out here but I'm going to say you know don't suffer alone if you if you need help reach out reach out to the police reach out to your local behavioral health your local RCO, reach out to your church, your neighbor, uh, somebody you know that's that's done this and gotten better. Just reach out, you know. And, and as I always say, if, you, if if all else is just go out in front of the house and yell, I need help. None of that works. Then find us. You can go to svvor.org. You can call us at 779-707-0151 if you're in the United States. Um, we will connect you with somebody, um, but you don't have to go through this thing alone. So uh, please, please, big thanks to Slang Music Group for the music, NRG Media for their production help. This show is produced by me, so yeah, I know it kind of sucks, but it is what it is, right? Um, you know, thanks to all our sponsors, all our partner organizations. Thanks to everybody in recovery. Thanks to uh, thanks to my family. Thanks to you for listening. Um, please recommend this, and if 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 possible, you know, send somebody a link. We're on Spotify, Apple, all the good stuff. So, thanks a lot. We'll talk to you later. Take care.